Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. I'd like to share a couple of somewhat short but beautiful near-death experiences today. These are from nderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website, which if you get on there, there are hundreds, possibly thousands of these accounts. And I don't comb too much through them. I kind of I look through, sometimes there'll be a sentence or two long, you know, a paragraph, and I usually try to pick ones that are a little bit longer, um, but sometimes I find some that are short and just just hit the point so well that I'm like, ah, I gotta share this. So here are two of them that are um, in that small to in-between size, um, but totally worth sharing. This one, the first one is by Tracy. She says, I was 16 years old. I remember walking to the car, but don't recall getting into it. We were driving about 10 minutes away from our destination when the accident occurred. Blackness for a flash. Quickly there was white light, a sound, hum, rushing, wind-like, much faster than I would have guessed from reading others' accounts of a tunnel, but that does describe it. Then total darkness, but not in the sense of a darkness that prevents the eyes from seeing, because we don't need eyes here. Darkness is just a word to describe the void of possibility, lack of limitation, complete wholeness, where there is no need to see. I understand that all is well, and this is all far from, or far, and this is all far more real, beautiful, sensical and loving than the material world I had previously thought was life. I know that it makes no difference whether I return to my body. This is where I distinguish myself in thought from the natural wholeness. There is a body, and I briefly turn my attention consciously to the noise and activity going on below, where there are people scurrying around in states of extreme turmoil. I feel no attachment, even to my friends in the car. I never even wonder as to the extent of their injuries. I know there is an option to just go on and to not return. When focusing on the question of returning or not, I separate from what I can now describe as natural wholeness or sky-like essence. This is when things start, uh, when thinking starts in a language form. I begin to narrow, specify, limit focus to what can be understood within normal context. There's no value judgment or sense of purpose, and I'm not really sure why I decided to return. It's like I already understand, on a level that requires no dialogue, so I don't need to go through the process of getting to an explanation. This occurs about the time they were putting me in the ambulance. Slowly, I begin to associate with my body again, and a few hours later, I'm again interacting with it. It was years later, after a lot of that silliness, that I calmed down enough to begin to make sense of it all. That's the end of the experience. A couple of things that I find interesting in there, that she only ever goes into the void, if I'm not mistaken, other than being over over the scene, she can see the scene, she only goes, um, you know, floating over the scene and then into the void, which she doesn't even describe as darkness per se. I mean, she uses the word darkness, 
but then she says darkness is just a word to describe the void it's a it's a it's void of possibility void of or uh, lack of limitation um complete wholeness and uh and she says there's no need to see so but and that sounds kind of vague you know and you're like kind of like okay so she's there and there's this sense of comfort whatever but then she says i understand that all is well and this is all far more real beautiful sensical and loving than the material world i had previously thought was my life now i can understand this concept of more well i can't say i understand it on a you know really being able to conceptualize it but but I've always heard it in conjunction with going to some beautiful landscape or city or seeing people that they know or love or whatever and then saying this place was more real than earth. But this one's describing the void as more real, more beautiful, more sensical, and more loving than the material world that I previously thought was life. So if any of you are still un prepared mentally, uh, psychologically for entering a void. If you are one of the privileged to go there, um, there's really not anything to fear from this. It really sounds like a wonderful, beautiful experience. Some people, if they tend to freak out about stuff, may freak out. But if they calm down, they're going to find it to be much more enjoyable than earth life. She even says, I don't even know why I went back. It was just this knowing that it, that's what needed to happen kind of idea. So that was interesting. I like how she also says that when focusing on the question of, return, of, to ret of returning or not, I separate from what I can now describe as natural wholeness or sky-like essence. Now, I don't know about you, but I have no idea what she means by those. <laughs> Natural, okay, but natural wholeness? Um, is that like a physical? I don't know. And sky-like essence? Mm, maybe maybe she's talking about natural wholeness being in the physical, sky-like essence being in the, you know, when she's floating in the void or whatever. I don't know. But the thing I like about this is that she's attempting to describe it. She says it, it, it you know, language just kind of fails, but, uh, but she's trying. And I love that she's trying because it's in the trying that we as society, trying to understand these things or the people reading these things who haven't had these experiences, will come slowly closer to understanding what it is that's being experienced. Make up those words. Just invent stuff. Whatever you got to do to be able to try to describe it. Because the more people that try to describe it, the more we will slowly get this sense about it. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the language that grows out of both near-death experiences and other spiritually transformative experiences that have this ineffability about them, if many of the words and, and the more easier-to-understand explanations will be coming from people who are starting to get a grasp from these attempts that people have made to describe it such that they say, oh, it almost sounds like you're saying that X. Because without having the experience, you don't have that feeling of ineffability. I keep saying ineffability. 
that feeling of ineffability that uh, that accompanies the attempt at description. And so not having that and just having the description may free up the filters to be able to come up with terms and way of saying things that uh, will make sense to the rest of us who also haven't had the ineffable experience. So I love that. I love that she tries to explain it. So keep trying if you're uh, an experiencer. Okay, let's go on to the second one. This is by Anne. And she says, and I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because there's there's a bit of medical stuff and it's a little bit, I don't want to say graphic, but you know, it's, it's kind of unpleasant medical stuff going on. Um, but I will say that... Uh, that she's she has a large abscess and has to have it operated on in in an uncomfortable place let's just say and and something begins to go wrong in this process um when she um as she is uh, preparing for the operation um let's see here where should i pick up um, they had a try a tachyr, tachycardia, tachycardia, something like that. I became very tachycardia, or tachycardia, and she says it's is a heart rate that exceeds the normal range. So she's her heart rate's really going up. So I'm not clear on if it, this is. Uh, I think it's um, due to her condition, not not the uh, surgery. That she's preparing for because she isn't yet in the surgery anyway um and so her heart's beating faster she says i got very short of breath and i knew i was going to die i started to pray because i didn't want my children to find me dead in the bathroom and then i felt the sensation come over me as though if i just let go i could die and i felt very much at peace even so i decided i would not give in and I thought if I lay in the bathtub, I could relax and not get so excited. So I got in the bathtub, and as I was lying there, I felt my spirit once again leave my body and could see myself in the tub. This again really freaked me out, and I climbed out of the tub because I didn't want my children to find me dead in the tub. I crawled to the phone and called my neighbor and asked her to please come over and help me get dressed. She came over and I was weak, but I felt okay, so I walked downstairs with her help. This is so interesting how she is kind of in and out of her body and like forcing herself to stay. Anyway, we'll talk about it after. Next, my father-in-law came over to take me to have my surgery. When I was in the outpatient surgery center, they attempted to start me on an intravenous drip, but we're having difficulty doing so. Um, then they put a blood pressure cuff on my arm. However, it would not register. I laughed and told the nurse it must be some malfunction. When the anesthesiologist came in, I had this need to tell him to not let me die. I remember he looked at me like I was crazy. I was taken into the operating room, and as they put the monitor on me, I saw the heart rhythm VTAC, the ventricular tachycardia, is a fast heart rhythm originating in one of the ventricles of the heart. 
and is a potentially life-threatening arrhythmia. I then looked at the blood pressure monitor and saw my blood pressure was 40 and dropping. The anesthesiologist became very upset and started to run around the room. Then, all of a sudden, my spirit left my body and it felt like I was sucked out of my body like a vacuum. My spirit soared out of the hospital and into the universe. I mean, it felt like Star Trek. My spirit was traveling very fast, and I saw the earth below me, and I seemed to be in amidst the stars. Then I heard a thump, and I landed on this very cloudy place, and the people I saw were all dead people whom I, as a nurse, had once cared for. They welcomed me and were all smiling. They parted, and coming towards me was my father, who had died six months prior. I remember how happy I was because I loved my dad so much and he had and he had died. My father smiled at me and held my hand and led me to a tunnel. The tunnel seemed to move slowly back and forth and when I arrived in front of it a bright light shone upon me and I felt no pain and this incredible love that radiated inside of me. I walked into the tunnel, and standing in the middle of the tunnel was a figure dressed in white with long hair, and his back was to me. I felt incredible love coming from this person, and I just knew that if he turned and looked at me, I would be dead. Beyond this man was an incredible place. The colors were interactive and alive. It seemed like paradise, except the colors were alive, and the rocks and sky and grass and water all seemed to be so very beautiful, and they seemed to all interact with each other. I saw my life flash before me like a rapid motion picture movie, and I saw all the good things and all the bad things that I had done in my entire life. Then I heard three voices. They said, you can stay or you can leave. And I thought to myself, I can stay or I can leave. And I said, I'm not good enough to be here. And the voices said, oh, but you are. The voices were so tender and the thought of staying seemed so pleasing to me. And I wanted to stay with my dad. But I suddenly felt this tugging at my shoulders. It seemed to be pulling at me. And I knew instantly that it was the prayers of my family, my children. And immediately I said, I gotta go. In that moment, I shot out of that tunnel and soared through the universe. I heard a thump and I was back in my body. And leaning over me was my doctor who said, Anne, why didn't you tell me you were so sick? You had a cardiac arrest. We resuscitated you and performed your surgery without anesthetic, but you are probably going to die, for you are in septic shock. And I replied, Oh no, doctor. I was in heaven, and I got to come back, so I won't die. I was very sick for six months, and had a total of five surgeries, and I got septic many times, but I survived. That's the end of the experience. Love it. I love it. So she has this this uh, moment of where she is recognizing that she's going to die. 
I don't know if this is some spiritual intuition, like a, like a, that she's uh, having this uh, uh, premonition that she's going to die, or if it was more like, no, this is just happening. You know, this is what's going on right now as I think on the subject. It's happening, I don't know. But then she says she uh, is, uh, she lays in the bathtub and she felt her spirit once again leave her body. And I think I neglected the night before. That night I was lying in bed, I felt my spirit leave my body, and I could see myself lying in the bed. The experience scared me, so I tried to rouse my husband, but he did not awake. I bet she tried to rouse him as her spirit. So she's kind of drifted the night before. She's drifted out of her body, and then she comes back in. The ne and the next day, she's preparing for her surgery, and she's having you know, sensations come over me. She knows that if she lets go, that she could die. And she felt very much at peace, but she also didn't want her kids to discover her in the bathtub. That's very considerate of her, as that would be a traumatic experience. And somehow she manages, in this state, between leaving the body and, you know, making herself get out of the tub and call her friend to come help her, she gets to the hospital. And as they're preparing, it sounds like, just getting things set up, she's gone. And I love her description. She says, my soar, spirit soared out of the hospital and into the universe. I mean, it felt like Star Trek, she says. And then she sees the earth below. She sees stars. And with a thump, she's in this cloudy place. I love hearing these different sounds that people have. They have sucking sounds. They have snaps. They have pops. Um, they have thumps. Uh, they have tapping, clicking, banging. I don't know what any of that is, but it's interesting. And it's something that's nice to be aware of. So if I die and I hear some kind of strange noises that I can't explain, I can relax and say, well, <coughs> there are some of the sounds that people hear, apparently. But in the midst of all this, She's feeling at peace. She's feeling loved. She's at, she gets to... I love that the first people that she sees are people that she had worked with as a medical professional, as a nurse, um, who had died, and they were there smiling and welcoming her. And then they part for her father to come through and see her, who, of course, she's incredibly happy to see because they had been so close. And... Uh, and then she sees this figure. And this is interesting. She says, if this person turned and looked at me, I would be dead. Which sounds odd if this is the first near-death experience you've heard. You're like, what? Would that, you know, kill her finally or make it so she couldn't come back? But the thing I get out of it is that people often, often come to some kind of barrier. Some kind of thing they'll... <clears throat> reach the edge of a river and they'll say, if I cross that river, I would never be able to come back. Or they would come to a doorway and if I walk through that door, I would not be able to return. Or if I went into that forest, I wouldn't be able to return. This one's a unique one because it's not a passageway at all. It's just this person there that if, if they were to turn around and look at her, she would be dead. That it would be 
her, her, you know, uh, the door would be closed behind her to return, basically. Interesting. It makes me think that it's not so much the, the what exactly. Is it a gate? Is it a, a wall? Is it a door? Is it a person? Is it a river? Whatever. That is somewhat irrelevant, it seems. It seems that whatever sense you get of beyond this point, or if this happens, or if I allow it to get to this degree, I will not be able to return. That sense is probably correct. Now, that said, it may not be 100% correct because I have heard of people who are like, okay, I'm, I'm moving on, and then they still end up coming back. But they're often the ones that wake up in the morgue or <laughs> other uh, you know, situations where they should not have been able to return. You know, they were beyond the point of resuscitation often. Not always, but anyway, I, I think there's something to that. Um, she has a life review, which is interesting. And then these voices give her a choice. And she feels, I love this, she felt this tugging at her shoulder. She's being tugged backward. And she said, and I instantly knew that it was the prayers of my family, my children. And I immediately said, I gotta go. And I get this image of she's being pulled by these prayers of her children. And she realizes they have, partly they've made the choice for her. But of course, you know, what agency she had that she could have used to really resist, she didn't. And so she allowed their agency to be um, seen, it seems that she used, that their agency became the agent that she allowed to help her choose, basically. She wanted to stay, she, she was tempted to stay, it sounds like. The, the idea of staying seemed so pleasing to me, she says, and I wanted to stay with my dad, but that tugging kind of, it, it tipped the scales for her. So while she had a choice, those prayers made all the difference, if I'm understanding this right. Those prayers made all the difference in that choice. Now, I have a suspicion that most people who code, who their heart stops beating, they stop breathing, and so forth, I suspect they have a near-death experience, almost everyone. But I suspect that most people do not remember it. For the simple reason that many people who do remember it don't remember it until later. And if that's the case, it very well could be that people are brought back because of prayers. Because people prayed them back. And if they have no memory of that near-death experience, they're not going to have the blessing, the gift that Anne has of knowing why she came back. And it was because of the prayers of her family, of her children. Very cool. Don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. That's what I get out of this. And I strongly, strongly believe that. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Now, the interesting aspect to that, as far as near-death experiencers is concerned, many people who, once they get to the other side, they don't want to come back. And they may feel that tugging and be like, ah, but I want to stay. And, and like the experience we read, uh, I think it was last week, something. Um, the lady 
hears the distress of the people and they're like breathe breathe so she's like all right fine she goes back in the body takes a big breath and then leaves again she's like why won't they be satisfied with my breath that i took you know uh, she's obviously in a very different frame of mind but those people begging for her life are making a difference and the prayers that people are having with Anne here are what tug her back and she realizes the choice is made partly hers but very much mostly her family's and her children she says I gotta go and then in that moment she shoots back through the tunnel down through the universe and thump she's back in her body I love it I love it love it so if you would like to contact the podcast you can do that by uh, emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com you can comment on the website, which is neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, or you can call uh, 970-NDE-CAST. And once again, thank you, all of you, every one of you, so much for listening.